So Money Episode 587, Ask Farnoosh. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. Fridays are my favorite because that's when I get to connect with you. And lately, it's been an opportunity for me to connect with listeners, bringing them on stage. And today is no different. We have a special co-host whom I'm going to introduce to you very shortly. But this is, in case you're wondering, So Money with Farnoosh Tarabi. This is Ask Farnoosh Fridays, where we tackle your biggest money questions. And it seems a lot of you right now are curious about investing. And I don't know if you know this, but this is very timely to be talking about investing because the fiduciary rule starts to partially go into effect this month. And just to you know briefly state what that is, it's uh, basically a mandate for the financial industry, the, the advising financial industry. Uh, if anyone's going to be giving you advice about retirement within your retirement accounts, your 401ks, your annuities, uh, they need to be fiduciaries. In other words, they need to give advice that is strictly putting your best interests first. And so what we're going to, I think, see over the next several months while this implements is we're going to see any commission-based advisories transition over to fee-only advisories and there being just a lot more disclosure, which I think ultimately is a good thing. Um, it's going to cost the industry billions of dollars, I think, to make this transition. But for consumers and investors like you and me, it's going to mean ultimately uh, money back in our pockets, which I think is the best thing. Very timely to be having some investment questions. And to help us navigate all of this is I'm very lucky that I have such hardworking listeners. When I when I suggest maybe bringing on some people to co-host with me, I never knew the the extent to which they would prepare. Yael, welcome to the show. Everyone, Yael Trash is here. And she's not only a listener, but she's very, very fascinating and has a very strong growing business and a, a real profound interest in money. So Yael, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Pranush. You know, I've been a fan for a long time, so it's really a pleasure to be here. You yourself have a podcast, right? I do. I, it actually was inspired by So Money podcast. No I started way. As a blogger. Yes. I started two and a half years ago with my blog, JewishLatinPrincess.com, which is a bilingual blog for Jewish women. And at the same time, I was going through my own journey with money and kind of rewriting my money story, working on some mistakes and um, doing things over again. And and so money was really my go-to resource for for really um, a lot of the changes I was undertaken. And as the blog, the blog platform had grown, I said, well, I want to do what Farnoosh is doing also. And I'm going to go launch a podcast. And I did. I did. I launched the Jewish Latin Princess podcast. And I get to interview you every week. I interview the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women. And I explore how their work is tied to their soul's divine mission and to Jewish values and, and how they're putting themselves out there and changing the world with their God-given talents. I love it. How did you discover <laughs> the show in the first place? I always am curious how people land on so money. So I think maybe you were a guest on somebody else's podcast, either 
I don't know, girl boss or Hillary. Hendrick. I don't, I don't remember. Mm-hmm. She, you were definitely somewhere where I heard you and I was like, one minute, what is this? And then I subscribed and that was it. You were my go-to. And then I started reading your books and most of your guests books. <laughs> <laughs> and actually some of your guests have been on my show also. Yes. Barbara Stanny. I had Barbara Stanny. I had Barry Tesler. I had Amanda Steinberg, who's going to air soon. I had Barbara Reach. Um, so yeah, it's been, we definitely have um, a lot in common. <laughs> so just to brag a little bit more about you, you have a very impressive background in finance. You worked in investment banking in New York City, as well as Buenos Aires. You um, and your husband launched an Asian liquor brand called Baijo. Yes. And so you're you're an entrepreneur, you have four children, but you admit, and you admitted to me prior to co-hosting that you've made some mistakes in your personal finances. What was the the big issue? What what were some of the bigger uh, flaws? You know, I've made, I made plenty of mistakes in my twenties. Um, I could have, I, I could relate to you being in your twenties in New York city and like not finding like the right advice. I, mm-hmm. I, but I, I, I think I just ignored my finances. I was making really good money, um, after college and between college and my MBA, I really was making good money. I just didn't know what to do with it. And I just ignored it. And I got into credit card debt. And of course I had student loans and I had, you know, my first big bonus, I went and I invested it, but I never kept tabs on it. I just kind of handed my money to some guy in fidelity. And then, uh, you know, after many years, I realized like, all my high fee mutual funds had just been eating up my gains. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of just not paying enough attention. Um, and, um, what made you, yeah, I mean, I became debt free over time and I am debt free and I don't have any student loans and I've, and I've changed, I've started investing differently, but I would say I made a lot of those, biggies. (laughs) biggies. <laughs> yeah. A lot of those growing pains, financial yes. growing pains is where coming up in life. And most of us didn't learn anything growing up about investing or compound interest or credit cards. And so you have to learn the hard way. But the good news Isn't is- Isn't it that, ironic, right? Like yeah. Like we had education and I have an MBA and like, hello, personal finance. <laughs> I have a degree in finance and we didn't learn anything right? about personal finances in college. It was all about how to manage portfolios and beta and all that abstract stuff that I'm not really using anymore in my life. Correct. You know, maybe the system will change. I hope it will. And in the meantime, there are podcasts like this and there are resources like you and I who hopefully we can be mentors to people, at least virtually. So what made you want to co-host? So um, aside from being a fan and I, I, I became over time through my own, my growing pains, like really passionate about the topic of money. And as I was, I kept learning more and more, I kept discovering that much of the work of creating wealth and building a healthy relationship with money is rooted in Jewish mystical tradition, which is something that I was always incorporating in my writing and in my speaking. So I I just, I said, well, there's so much here. We have so much in common. Let's just put, you know, go do this together because it's going to be so much fun. And in fact, my next project is to teach personal finance to women using Jewish mysticism as the framework for the practice of money management and wealth building. So so what does that look like in, in, in practice? Ooh, so what does that look like? So 
You know, the first thing is that I would say is that we need to understand that money is another tool in the physical world that God gave us, gave it to us in this world to help him elevate the world. And, and, and the, the universe as people could refer it or whatever your higher power is, right. Wants us to have money, to use it for good. So like anything else in this world, we can use it for the service of our creator. And once we get that, I think we, we can use so many of the tools of self-refinement and development that Judaism teaches us and apply them to our relationship with money. Um, for example, um, mind control, training our thoughts. This is like a fundamental Kabbalistic concept, using our mind to give birth to positive emotions. Um, the way we speak, actually, the power of our words is critical. And it's, it's also something that we can apply to our relationship with money, serving God with joy and inner happiness. It has a direct impact in everything we do, including how we give, how we spend, how we invest, um, defining our values and putting our our money, where those values are, understanding the power of giving and the energy that goes behind the money that we give. And finally, you know, having faith in, in God or the universe and that God wants great things for us and is entrusting us with a great mission in this world and having a faith in ourselves that we can carry through. We can accomplish so much in this world. So all of these are very fundamental Jewish teachings that we know we have to work on. We know they're applicable to our lives and our relationships, but I think we need to connect the dots Mm -hmm. and see how they all translate directly to our relationship with money. And if I can frame the work of money and wealth building from that perspective, as Jewish women in particular, I think I would, you know, it would really be very beneficial. I think it's brilliant. I think money is a topic that alone can be very overwhelming. And as a result, people don't um, learn about it or are not interested in it. But when you when you position it like you are, I think that is very smart. And that's where there is interest. People are interested in their faith. They want to learn more about how to build upon their faith. And if you can make that connection with their finances, I think that is very, very, very strong and brilliant. So how's it going? I'm in the research stage in the putting all, you know, putting everything together. I see a book at the end of the tunnel. I'm not sure if I'm starting with a, I'm going to start testing some, like a few speaking engagements that I have coming up. I start testing the waters, but, and then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm taking that, you know, I'm taking it further and diving deeper. So I'm in this pre-stage of just developing the first few workshops that will eventually become a book. Well, yeah, I have to tell you, I'm so honored and proud to have you as a listener. It's, it's really refreshing and great to know that, yeah, there's this really smart and ambitious and motivated community out there that's tuning into my podcast. I mean, I feel like, you know, there's so many, so, so many shows out there, so many people you can tap into. And the fact that you're choosing us, me is uh, a real honor. And thank you. No, my pleasure. Thank you for having me here. It's so fun. All right. So let's, let's, let's have more fun. Let's get to these questions. And like I said, a lot of people this week seem to be curious about where to put their money. And our first few questions actually come through SpeakPipe, which is a great handy dandy tool on somoneypodcast.com. If you want to maybe be a little more uh, personal with your question or just are you're on the go and you can't type, you can always leave an audio question. Just click on SpeakPipe and um, you can uh, get going. So first question is from Brett and it's a woman and she is curious about where to invest her money. Let's listen to her question. Hi, Farnoosh. My name is Brett. I'm 26 and live in Brooklyn, New York. 
My question is how and where I should begin investing my money, in particular in the stock market. I make about $30,000 a year. I have $25,000 in my savings. I have $16,000 in my Roth IRA and have contributed the maximum for 2017. I keep about $3,000 in my checking and I have zero debt. I currently work two part-time jobs and work as an artist for myself as kind of a third job. So I'm interested in growing my financial wealth while maintaining my current lifestyle. All right. Yeah, Elle. Are you invested in the stock market? I am. I am. I, I yeah. am invested in the stock market. And do you have a particular strategy? Do you have an advisor? So I'm not working with an advisor yet, although we've interviewed a few. Um, right now we're using robo advisors, so we're you know we're invested through internet platforms in addition to my husband's 401k and a and an IRA that I have with a robo advisor, and then a separate um, investment account, but also also through a robo advisor. Right. So that's great. I think that the smart money is where you're not paying a lot in fees. So however way you can uh, diminish that for your portfolios, I think is first thing. Um, So it's, it's really more about first making sure that wherever you're investing, that the fee structure is 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 not one that's going to bite you over the years. Remember, fees compound. So that's why Yael and even I do have some of our money with robo-advisories. I work with Charles Schwab. Others might choose Betterment. There's Wealthfront. There's Elevest. I don't think that there's any value in actively managed funds, any particularly, any more residual value than perhaps putting your money in a passive index fund. And that's not just me speaking. That's a lot of the data out there that points to that math. So why pay a lot for the same return? And so putting my money in index funds through a robo-advisor, I feel I'm getting uh, ultimately the same net effect, net effect, net benefit, uh, but just with a lower at a lower cost. And so I think that Brett, that could be something to look into. And with the different robo advisors out there, you can keep your money in a Roth IRA. You can also have a brokerage account. I like the passive investment route. I like index funds. I like ETFs. Call me boring. I don't know. I'm with you, Furnish. Um, I'm definitely with you. I definitely had my experience paying way too many high fees in actively managed funds. So I'm with you on that one. And in fact, even in even the 401k that my husband has through work, we went back and we we restructured that to go with a very low, you know, a, a low cost um, index. Um, so we we've re- we've rechecked that uh, as well. And even some of the financial advisors that I've had on this show will admit that for years they thought that actively managed funds were better. They were mistaken. And now they've changed their tune. And we have a question here from Megan, an audio question as well. And it sounds like she has a very similar kind of question, but let's hear her out. Hi, Farnoosh. I'm Megan. My question is on investing. I'm currently maxing out my 401k, have no credit card debt, have a substantial amount of cash, and I'm about to start investing my excess funds in a Vanguard account. Would you advise working with an investment advisor for these investments or simply choosing some index funds? Research shows actively managed funds don't perform better than standard funds, but I'd love your perspective on how I should move forward. So, Yael, she basically took the words out of my mouth. I mean, she is curious to know whether actively managed funds perform better or worse than standard funds. Um, she says the research points to the fact that you're, you know, the money is better with 
standard funds. And I agree with those researchers, Megan. I really do. I wasn't always aware of this. And I think this is becoming more and more of a a reality and something that is more commonly expressed, even within the industry, even within the financial advising industry. They're the first sometimes to admit that your money is better in a plain vanilla index fund with a very small fee compared to a more sophisticated mutual fund that ultimately is yielding the same results. Um, so Megan and Brett, I think uh, you kind of have similar questions. Really take a look at how much you're spending on these fees. It's important to do that because sometimes you just think, oh, it's 1% or it's 0.9%. But that compounds. And over a 25, 30-year stretch where you're investing, that's hundreds of thousands of dollars potentially. Um, there's some sure. math out there that shows that it could take a 25% bite out of your retirement savings just from fees alone. So be very, very careful about that. Yeah, yeah. And one thing I would add to Megan, it seems um, it definitely go seems to me to go to the through the index funds route. But I also see that maybe um, at the same time, she might want to be in a position already to consider working with a fiduciary financial advisor. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think, Fernish? Somebody who could help her manage her money and have a strategy, a long term strategy, you know, she could whom she, she could trust. Right. I think that for the purposes of working with someone to give you holistic advice, not just on mm -hmm. your investments, but also who's going to take a look at, let's say, your estate planning a little bit, your insurances. Right. Maybe they'll find some holes in your insurance coverage. They'll um, help you set up a college fund, savings fund. So we initially, Tim and I did work with a financial advisor when we got married. I thought that there were a lot of benefits at the time, and there were. One was Hey, there's a lot of value in having a third party be an objective voice, especially when you're newly married and you want to kind of get on the same page and avoid squabbles. She was great on that front. And additionally, she identified some weaknesses in our insurance policies and um, mm -hmm. worked with us to get them um, more robust. And then she also, of course, created a timeline for us and charts as far as, you know, if we invest so and so much today and continuously, this is how much we'll have in retirement. And she was just a good person to call up on occasion and say, hey, we're thinking about buying a, a, an investment property or a car. What do you think? Can we afford it? Really? I mean, I can do the math, but it's great to just always have that second opinion. And we worked with her for a few years until we felt that we really had everything under control. We had figured out our systems. And so I think that in some times, in some lives, a financial advisor can be a great resource to have. And it doesn't have to be a forever relationship. It can be a relationship that you have for a few months, a few years. But I don't think that hiring someone just to help you manage your money in terms of your retirement is really money well spent. I think these days, robo-advisors can do that pretty well right. for us. But if there are other things that you need help with, then I think that's going to be worth it. Absolutely. All right. And then we have another final speak pipe question from Regina, and she wants to know about mentors. So here we go. Let's listen to Regina. Hey, Farnoosh, Regina here. Today, my question for you is about mentorship. I'm considering switching career paths in about a year or so. What's the best way to go about finding mentors, especially since they're not really in my field that I'm in now, and I don't really know anyone who is in the field that I want to be in? 
Also, is there a sweet spot for the number of mentors you're supposed to have? Or is one enough? Is, should you have more than one? Do they have to be in your industry? I would just love to hear your thoughts on the topic. So Yael, who, who've been your mentors? You know, it's interesting. It's interesting that Regina asked that because um, as a Jewish woman, we're actually, we don't take the topic of, of mentors lightly. It, the classic Jewish thought advises us on having one mentor in life. And that mentor is mostly for spiritual concerns and matters of Jewish life, but it also could translate to career and business. And it's not a thing that you choose overnight. It really takes a lot of work to find the right person and to really know a person who really knows you, your strengths, your weaknesses, and who's coming from a very humble, honest place who can even tell you, I think for this, you need to call so-and-so who is an expert in that. So I do have a mentor whom I go to for many questions about my marriage, about, you know, should we, you know, decisions that we're making about moving cross country or from different countries or a new business venture, you know, I do have a mentor. My husband has a mentor. And then sometimes we go and we also have always a good friend. That's also the advice that, you know, we have a good mentor and a good friend. And, you know, I think, um, I think it's worth exploring and talking to a lot of people, but there's definitely value in aiming for oneness for one person that we could really trust. I agree with you. And I would add that mentors don't always have to be with you physically. They don't have to be someone in your town or your school or your work. When I was in my 20s and even still, you know, I found a lot of direction in just observing and reading about people that I admired, whether that was uh, various people in media, whether it was um, feminist leaders, mothers. I found guidance through reading about other people's failures and successes. And in some ways, I hope this podcast is a virtual mentorship for some people, you know, who you get to hear different stories about failure and success and habits. But I think that's something to also um, remind yourself of that even though you might be living in the middle of the country or you feel like I'm not anywhere where there is this massive community of like ambitious, like New York City is just full of of drive, right? Everyone here is on the go and it's very inspiring. You could just literally be at a restaurant and overhear a conversation and be inspired and find a resource or get an an inspirational direction. But sometimes people feel like they're in a bubble, they don't really have people that inspire them. So get online, you know, read books, reach out to people on Facebook. There are ways to grow your self through mentorship from afar. And sometimes people don't even have to know that they're your mentors, you know? Like I I secretly had mentors. Like I would just follow people or take notes. Um they didn't right. really know that I was paying such close attention, but I was. Yeah, yeah. To learn from a lot of people. I, I agree with that. And then if you end up choosing one person over time, then just have Bear in mind to, that that person needs to have your best interest in mind. Um, so a fiduciary it's, it's, mentor. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. That's it. That's a fiduciary a mentor. That. <laughs> even even better, taking it a step further. People are not only interested in mentorship; they want sponsorship, right? Yes. So a mentor gives you unsolicited, or rather, solicited but unfiltered advice. Yes. A sponsor will go so far as to vouch for you, make introductions for you, write you a recommendation, and that's that's sort of mentorship in you know to the to the tenth degree to the nth degree, and that's that's always a bonus um, if you can find someone who can do that for you, even more of a of a needle mover, as I say. 
Oh, yeah, definitely. All right. We have time for two more questions. I'll let you take this one and read it for us. It's from Kate. What does Kate have on her money mind? All right. So Kate has a whole life insurance policy with a cash value of $40,000. And she wants to know if she should use this as her emergency fund or towards a down payment for a home. Well, first of all, why does she have a whole life insurance policy? I don't know. (laughs) I just feel like it's such an expensive thing to take on. And if you're young and healthy um, and you don't really have a complicated financial situation, whole life insurance, its I find it's a very hard argument, a compelling argument to make. It's a very big investment. And studies find that many people who invest in these policies end up foregoing the policy because if you lose your job or you face financial hardship, this is a very costly premium, typically, more so than, say, a term life insurance policy. But as she says, it comes with a cash value. So that is very attractive to some people. And in this case, she's got 40K. I would say, Kate, that, you know, I'm a little conservative. So I would say that if you have no other ways to afford a down payment on a home, you can't get alone, you can't save up over time, you can't cash out other assets that wouldn't necessarily compromise your ability to have a secure financial future, then maybe look at the cash value. But I think it should be a very last resort. The cash value of a whole life insurance policy is meant to be there to help you in the event that you will need to execute that life insurance policy. It's going to help to pay for um, your family's financial needs. It could help to pay for funeral costs. And of course, there is the life insurance as well, but the cash value can come in handy when there is that life emergency. And I would hate to have it not be there um, in the event that uh, something happens. So just think about that hazard. And I would rather she, I would rather she take the time to save up for um, the down payment on the home. And if she doesn't have an emergency fund, that should be the very first priority and that should be coming out of your paycheck to really build up that cash reserve. Um, imagine that cash value isn't there and only to tap it if it, you know there's like a really imminent emergency that this is like you know the break open glass emergency. Uh, what do you think? I, I really agree with you. I see this as a great opportunity for Kate to gain the discipline of saving towards towards something, towards that emergency fund, and then to save uh, towards a down payment of a home because that discipline is going to help her eventually when she does get her home. Because, you know, being a homeowner, as you've said many times on the show, and those of us who are homeowners know, we have to be able to save up for um, repairs and, um, you know, all the things that come with home ownership. So I think it's a good opportunity for her to leave the policy untouched. It serves yes. its purpose yes. as a life insurance policy and and just start saving, which is going to come in handy in the future. <laughs> I agree. I agree. Just like, you know, we've talked about I'm in debt. So, uh, or my boyfriend's in debt or my girlfriend's in debt. I want to just write him or her a check to relieve the debt. And then we can move on with our lives together. And while that could be a really quick solution, I think that there is something to be said about going through the process Yes. of getting yourself out of debt, or in this case, the process of saving up. You'll appreciate whatever that goal is a lot more when you get it. And it's a good muscle to flex, mm-hmm. right? And if you have yet to really bulk up that emergency savings, it's never too late. You got to start doing it and start doing it, like you said, dis- with discipline and using your paychecks to really beef that up. All right. Last but not least, Ariel. Um, she 
is sort of in a transition, right? Tell us about what's going on with Ariel. Yeah. So Ariel quit her corporate job at a fast paced startup because she couldn't take the chaos anymore. So now she's on the job hunt for something new and she realizes she has no idea what to do. Her paychecks will soon be gone and she may be lost and jobless at the same time. So she wants any advice on what she should do with her finances while she's in the in between anything she should do for money in the interim, any thoughts. All right. So my hat's off to you, Ariel, for knowing your limits and quitting that job. And I do believe that while it's a risk to quit your job without another one lined up, if it does mean improving your health and an opportunity for you to really take the right time to reflect on what you care about, what's important to you, the next step that you want to make without feeling pressure, um, I think that can be a really smart move. And I've written about this for Oprah Magazine. And I would say that from just a practical to-do list standpoint, it's important that you look at all of your expenses and get rid of anything that is not a need right now. Um, And when I got laid off in 2009, and although I had savings, of course, there's this fear that you're going to run out of money because you don't know when you're going to get your next gig, whether that's a full-time job, a part-time job. So I pared down a lot of my expenses. I suspended many of my subscriptions for at least a few months. You can do that. And I also found that when you call these companies that you might have memberships to or subscriptions or um, you're paying a monthly fee for something, whether it's like cable or your gym membership or in telling them that you're unemployed right now, Um, might earn you a big discount or an ability to freeze the account penalty free and then just pick up when things get better for you. So you don't have to, you know, cancel and then renew and that can be a whole like time consuming thing. Just really be extremely frugal and realistic about what you can afford. Maybe it means, you know, making some life adjustments, changing where you live, selling some items, just because if you don't have the emergency fund that you really need to cover you during this transition period, and hopefully you have something like six months reserved, you're going to need to bulk that up. What would you add, Yael? She seems like really nervous about this. Yeah, I I like all your practical tips. And I guess I would add to her to that, not not to panic, because um, obviously, she's taking it seriously, which is important, but without panicking, because that never helps with, you know, us being open to new ideas or new direction and to have faith that she has what to contribute to the world. And she will find that that calling and, and that will help her start thinking about, you know, what things she's good at, what Mm -hmm. things does she enjoy the most, what people always maybe call her for help and advice, you know, sometimes these things can give us really clear hints at as to, you know, it's the one thing that you're so good at. And I always call you for this or that, you know, it it hints to where we should be going in life. I agree. That's so true. You know, there's two ways to make money, right? There's you can make money from what you do, which is your job. And then you make money from what you know, which may be a skill that you are not practicing in your nine to five. But like you said, it's something that you're known for that your friends identify you with. And that could be some, that could be worth exploring. And I will say just as a final bit of advice, Ariel, keep busy, stay active, meet with friends. Don't, uh, you know, stay home and search online all day. Although that is very helpful sometimes, you know, you can find a lot of information online. It's really important to get out there and get, do the face to face with people and go to events, maybe start your own 
kind of like a mastermind. This is, I know there's something very common here in New York City with professional women. I'm a part of one where, you know, you get together with like-minded women or men, um, or all of the above and you talk about work and you sort of create this formal mentorship for each other and you share resources and that could be something worth doing and it's not very time consuming and you could do it virtually with people across the country. You could do it with people in your hometown, but meeting like once a month and emailing in between can be really helpful in keeping your ideas moving further along, finding ways that you can give back. And I just think that's a a very constructive way to pass your time, especially in this transition. Um, and especially when you go to that next interview, they're going to want to know how have you been spending your time, right? What yeah. have you been doing? And you want to have something really positive to show for that. So Ariel, again, congrats on taking this very um, tough move. It's tough to quit your job. It is. But I commend you for it, knowing that this is something that you know will help you in the long run. And if you have any more questions, you know where to find me. Thank you so much. And Yael, how, did you have fun? I think you are just so great at hosting. I'm going to start Thank listening you. to your podcast. Thank you. I would love to have you there. I, I had such a nice time for a notion. It was so fun. So tell us how we can learn more about you and find you. I want to really get people to uh, appreciate all the work that you're doing. Absolutely. So the, na- the name of my blog is jewishlatinprincess.com and you can find me there. And in, over there, I really try to weave spiritual insights onto practical subjects that all women can relate to food, design, fashion, parenting, and of course, money, um, as Judaism is a way of life. And so it's very, it's, it's, it's very fun to see practical topics just kind of come to life from a soul perspective. And of course, the podcast is also called Jewish Latin Princess. And uh, it's on iTunes. And yeah, it would be great to have everybody there. I'm on your site right now. I really like the looks, just a really beautifully artistically well done site. So my hat's Thanks off to you, Yael. And I hope that we can reconnect again soon. Thank you. Thank you. Me too. We'll have to talk about book to brand eventually. <laughs> oh, right. So what she's referring to everyone is my workshop that I have coming up in the fall and it's it's filling up. I'm, I'm, I'm just through word of mouth. So I'll just, I'm going to put something together more formal for everybody in the coming weeks, but just to give everybody who's curious about it some background. I started this workshop making money from what I know, which is how to build a brand, how to leverage a book to connect the other dots in your professional life that you want to connect, whether that's getting more press, um, doing brand partnerships, doing more books, getting out there in a bigger way, becoming known as a go-to expert in your respective field and all of the above. That's what the workshop really uh, demonstrates. And we bring people from these worlds to talk about how to do it, including myself. And it's a really intensive 48 hours, but people walk away with so much insight as to how the industry really works, who the, the sort of the gatekeepers are, how to connect with them the right way, and how to go about really creating a cohesive brand for yourself. And anyway, it's October 23rd and 24th this year. I'm putting it out in the universe, Yael, because that's mm-hmm. what you would say, right? Just put it out there. Put it out there. <laughs> um, I have an application. And if you're interested, um, email me, farnoosh at farnoosh.tv. Put book to brand in the uh, subject and I'll uh, I'll get you some information. But it's limited seating. It's just maybe six to eight people. I'm not looking for a stadium. If you're interested, be quick to email me and we'll get you more information as soon as possible. Are you interested, Yael? 
I definitely am. Oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I'll be sending you that link very soon. Thanks so awesome. much. Yeah, Elle, I hope your weekend is so money. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, Farnoosh. Thank you, Farnoosh.